Morning, Jarvis. Good morning, Commander. How we doing? The ship's systems have been checked and are okay. Have I got any emails? Yes, two. What's the first email? From Alvin DeFear. Grr woof woof grr. Translating, please wait. Is Thursday's Studio 5 recording completed? What's the second one? From M. Stryker. Sorry Ventura, but I am unable to meet with you this weekend. Something has come up. We'll talk to you next month. Okay, back to the main menu. Uh, can you get the latest edition of the Hot Orbital Radio News Digest? Thanks. Right, play it when you have it. Please wait. Searching. Searching. Found. Loading. Now playing. It's often said that in this galaxy of ours, there are old pilots. There are bold pilots. But there are no old, bold pilots. This is not true. There aren't many pilots out there in the galaxy with more than a handful of careers under their belt. Most of us are content to be a bounty hunter and a miner, or an explorer and a cargo hauler. One old, bold pilot has had more than many careers, but this particular star's light no longer illuminates our night sky. A pilot, a pirate, a gunslinger for hire, a viking, a warrior, a blacklist denier. He travelled through the depths of the oceans and into deep space. He loved and he fought and he smouldered with fire. He was a young man with a horn. He had an ear for painting sunflowers. He duked it out with other legendary characters. He flew over the cuckoo's nest long before anyone saw it on a vidcast. These and a hundred more lives he lived. More than a hundred years he lived. But at the end, his final act was to look the reaper in the eye and say, I am Spartacus. Our mics are live. Good evening, everyone. It's lovely to be back here in the calm and peace that is the studio. An oasis in the centre of the hubbub that is the hurly-burly of hot mess participants arriving and leaving at all hours of the day and night. With me this week, jostling for position on the one chair that still functions, we've tried buying a new one, but all we get delivered these days is scrap, and it's uncomfortable to sit on, is the larger-than-life Harry Balsack. Good evening. The ultra-dependable Norma Snockers is here, but she's only one half of a pair this week, as Lou's off, as he was complaining about a pain in his ear. Good evening, everyone. I've got everyone's favourite mining obsessive, Wilma Fingerdo. Hello, Rudolph. Good evening, everyone. And, once again, we have the absolute privilege of the presence of Galnet's own colon corrector, the inimitable Commander Wotherspoon. Good evening. So, let's have some news, shall we? Dastardly Don's Desperados Disrespect Doyen. Dayglow Viking tries to prove it's bigger on the inside. Major General Nocta Vegas finds it's time to let go of his ship. 
I don't spy with my little eye. Something beginning with Sagittarius. We're dreading the return of the judge. The apology officer would like to... Well, you know the rest. Is this the loneliest system in the galaxy? Atrus 5060 does his best to work out what's going on. Blue's hiding somewhere, so I found a professional to help. And Norma's going to tell us how well we're doing with our initiative. If proof were needed that bad things happen to good people, Commander Poppy, the hamster-spirited alter ego of our own Flossie, was out mugging the galaxy, trying to bring cheer and a hut and mug to the poor mods-infected wretches who not only didn't have any food, but didn't have a mug to put it in. The inhabitants of Systems in Famine are too weak to raise a mug, and so are reluctant to take one even if it would relieve their mod-space suffering. From purely selfless motives, and not so that her OCD could only rest once every station had been mugged, Poppy, that's Flossie, remember, keep up at the back there, took on a wing mission to deliver food, or rather coffee. I don't think we should be uncharitable, but if you're starving, should coffee be first on the agenda? And, and if it is, then why should a mug not be required? And, sorry, where was I? Oh yes, Poppy took on a wing mission to deliver food, only to find that she ha was interdicted by a deadly pirate. You will recall, because she never lets us forget, that Flossie's pilots are all harmless, who unceremoniously proceeded to prepare Poppy's ship for a return trip to Hutton by turning it into scrap. Poppy is now helping the starving by delivering random foodstuffs, the equivalent of leaving a tin in the basket in the corner of the supermarket that's taken to the local dog's home. I guess the moral of this story is, if you're taking on a wing mission, take a wing. Commander Dayglow Viking has proven himself to be the baldric of ship transport with his cunning plan. Our clever commander has managed to get around the extortionate fees charged by the Pilots' Federation for moving his ship to a new location by disguising it as cargo. He's created his own babushka doll by putting a ship inside a ship, and he's imitated a TARDIS by putting an anaconda inside a cargo ship. He's removed all of the ship kits, unplugged all of the optional modules, and sealed the ship's computer into a container. Now. All would have gone well, and we would now be, con be congratulating Mr. Viking on the cunningest plan since Sly McSly won the craftiest plan in the galaxy competition, if it were not for one thing. The Type 6 that has the commander's ship on board has its root plotter permanently set to economical mode, and the pilot has no more sense of direction than Nocti at the end of a long night out. 
It appears that Commander Daeglo Viking may have to wait several weeks before his ship arrives at its new home, far, far longer than it would have taken to draw giant genitalia on a galaxy star map. There is, however, good news. Commander Hutton Widow was heard to say that in the absence of an escape pod with cryostasis, all will still be well, as the Viking still has a mug and sufficient evil juice to make the time pass without notice. Good luck, Commander but we can't promise to leave a station unmugged for your return. Following our report a few weeks ago of rumours of a fully scrap-built limpet-printed battlecruiser being constructed only a short hop from Hutton, the other side of Eden to be precise, our investigative team have an update. It appears that due to a Mega Mini Millimeter Mega Meter mix-up, the Major General's digital minions have delivered him something absolutely perfectly crafted, only at a fraction of the size it's supposed to be. The Major General, who was hands-off throughout the whole process and was only updated via external camera shots, was caught rather on the hop when, waiting in his asp, he heard the capital ship signature detected warning and looked at the very impressive Witchspace arrival storm, only to notice that what popped out of the hole was more than a little smaller than he wanted. This Lilliputian behemoth is packing all of the equipment one would expect from a replica of a Federal Navy ship and is practically perfect in every possible way, with tiny little heat relays, batteries of dangerous-looking weapons and, of course, a fully realised ship's bridge. Unfortunately, it's only suitable for being crewed by the little minifigures created by Commander Claire Hallen. The waiting complement of fighter vessels preparing to dock and start patrolling around Hutton Space will have a bit of a time of it docking, so it's been repurposed as a drone aboard Hutton itself, guarding the mug supply hangar against marauding smurfs, big endians, and any station cats that take delight in knocking them off the side. Crisis has hit the world of Pulp Fiction in recent weeks, with almost the entire writing room from Sagittarius Eye, the galaxy's finest print publication about the galaxy around us, being mysteriously kidnapped. No ransom demand has been presented yet, nor is there any evidence of how they were removed from their locked high-security compound, but there are rumours that a number of them were seen walking around the exercise yard with strangely muddy boots, all looks looking suspiciously innocent when Sagai guards entered their dormitory and the browser history of one inmate, sorry, writer, concerning searches on how to jump a motorbike and sidecar over a barbed wire fence. While search and rescue teams are on the lookout for the missing writers, Hutton's copy room has been beavering away with the typewriter in an attempt to fill the gap. Whether our demented touch tap types, tappings and tipex covered efforts to spell complicated words like mug past muster with the editor-in-chief remains to be seen, but we're hopeful that we can plug the gap whilst the professionals are found and brought back to base. We've received a mug alert. Yes, a call to action. When you hear the words, I am the law, what immediately springs to mind? 
No, not the lore wars of early 3302 between Dr. Stroud of Lave and the behatted former security consultant turned historian Drew Wagar. We mean the law. Big-chinned, steely-eyed, armour-wearing, justice-bringing law. Ben Ryder, notorious mug-denier, appears to have relented in his scorn for all things Hutton and is acting as a fence. Sorry, intermediary. Between the finder, one commander, Johnny Sokatoa, and the truckers. A cache of ancient documents from the troubled past of Earth have been carbon dated to the year 2000 AD, and a number of Hutton truckers have been commissioned to bring these artefacts, listed in cargo holds as progs and classified as ultra-rares, from the dig site on Earth to other stations throughout the Sol system. The museum buyers are said to be filthy rich, very eager to get their hands on these thrills from early Earth history, and starting rumours that the colourful printed editions are the perfect defence against thrill-sucking Thargoids. We are, of course, sending a team armed with a Translator Tron 3000 to work out what on Earth this message means, and why Johnny named his ship the Trigonometrist, and what the angle is on this heist and which side we're on. But we're never ones to turn away a mission. And now, over to the Apology Officer. Hutton Orbital Incident Report. Date of incident, 5th February 3306. Location, the bubble. Type of incident, ship damage, ship destruction. Reporting Officer, Mia Hartness. This week we have some cautionary tales rather than outright apologies, although I'm sure I can squeeze a little one in along the way. Our daring commanders have been tearing along the space lanes, delivering mugs like Aussie Outback truckers and massive star trains, wearing dirty vests and dodging interdictions by demented space pirates, hell-bent on depriving needy communities of their mugs. But somewhere along the line, the trucking takes a toll and a few of our number have had a little incidents this week. Most have been as simple as selling all of their mugs at one station then flying off before realising, but for some, the consequences have been much more serious. Commander Snark 3D got lazy with his station keeping out at Hutton, and after some snuggling with a gun turret, was declared outlaw, promptly obliterated and sent to detentions facility to explain exactly why they had been rubbing up against a gun turret in the first place. On discovering that one of their target stations was in famine and too poor to buy a mug, Commander Flossie decided to do her bit and help them out. She donated what mugs she had and then agreed a contract with the local governing faction to bring in thousands of tonnes of much-needed coffee to help with the situation. On her way back, pirates struck swooping in on her T9 to rob her of her precious life-giving cargo. She dodged and she weaved and she submitted and she boosted, but in the end she couldn't shake them and her ship was shot out from under her. Oh, the humanity. All that coffee gone to waste. I can only apologise for the trauma this image has caused you, dear listener. Commander Rincewin Kimru was left in a sticky situation while taking mugs to a remote station. Having dropped into system and setting course to and supercruise, he popped off to attend to a call of nature. Well, too many food cartridge dinners and holding it in meant that he was detained for longer than he intended. 
The rumbling, shaking and juddering noises heard throughout the ship were put down to the plumbing system trying to cope and he thought no more about it. However, it became apparent that something was wrong when he attempted to leave the facilities only to be informed that due to an oxygen depletion on the other side of the door this would not be possible. Next came a notification from his insurance company that he would be expected to pay 6 million credits for a replacement ship and there he stayed for 14 hours in a space toilet with a broken flush mechanism alternating between swearing in Welsh and singing 99 bottles of beer in the wall. Finally a salvage crew picked him up while nosing through the remains of his ship and returned him to a spaceport. So remember, while mugs are important and there are a lot of stations waiting to be mugged, take frequent breaks rather than long ones. Watch out for gun turrets and always make sure you have a fast ship when transporting coffee. Anyway, happy interstellar frozen yoghurt day. And hey, let's be careful out there. Mia Harkness, Apology Officer, Team Hotbox. Oh, sorry again. Cut an orbital maybe 0.21 light years from the entry point in the system. But at least it has, you know, the system's four suns, seven planets, including Eden, on its doorstep, and two other stations to keep it company, even if they are a distance away. Pity then, Kaylee Dock in the Julansa system a refinery station that has nearly 35,000 inhabitants. And what can they look forward to as they gaze out of that window? A single Titori star. So it's not even scoopable. 18,390 light seconds away. And an asteroid belt. That's it. Nothing else. Not a sausage. Not even a tourist beacon or a wandering comet or a compromised nav beacon that would at least bring passing trade, even if it was in the pirate variety. We salute Commander Dan Glebitz, who visited this station and brought them Centauri Megagen, along with hut and mugs, for the inhabitants. We think that if someone accidentally chances upon this station in the future, for why else would anyone want to go there, then unless the inhabitants have already killed each other in a drunken brawls, the commander didn't say how much Megagen he delivered, that there will be a statue of the mysterious stranger, the man they called Dan, who came to visit one day and brought a little ray of sunshine to the lives of the inhabitants of Cayley Dock. Good evening, trackers. Atrus5060 reporting in with the latest intel on the Thargoid War. At the time of this recording, Eagle Eye is still reporting nonsense, and Aegis is nowhere to be seen. Cannon's efforts to wrap the Eagle Eye installations in tinfoil did not help, but what it did do is allow you to pick up old episodes of Match of the Day if you tune your communications array just right in the old Earth radio frequency spectrum. In the meantime, Thargoids are running amok in the Pleiades and the Witchhead Nebula. Active combat zones are still present in HIP-16813, Taygeta, Lembassa and Evangelis. The stations in these systems are still on fire, oh my, and in need of evacuation. 
AXI or is it Axie? And its allies have also noted that the Thargoids have bolstered their numbers in these incursions, making it harder to clear them. So please get out there and do your part, truckers. It appears that Hackswing's gone missing this week. I think they're busy chasing down the Thargoids, so we can't tell you where to focus your efforts this week. Just go to those places and blast those aliens. Good luck out there, truckers, for the mug. Lou has gone missing again this week, and he's going to be sore about this one, as there's actually something happening in Hutton Space that needs talking about. Yes, with the update to the Political Player's Handbook 5th Edition in a recent Fractional Faction patch, a variety of new system states have been identified. Whilst Tutton systems in the bubble seem to be as stable as a LaveCon documentary maker and calmer than the seas under the Aurora Australis, at least today, we've been thrown into a right old state. Without warning, someone at the Pilots' Federation declared today a public holiday in Alpha Centauri and gave everyone the day off plus bonus rations of Hutton mugs. Yes, we are up to 75 mugs each for a short period whilst we all a celebrate and b work out why we're celebrating. Is it Bob Marley's birthday? A celebration of women being allowed the vote back in the day. Only those over the age of 30 of course flippity gibbets had to wait another 10 years. Is it the anniversary of the Beagle, an animal very close to Alvin's heart and height, reaching Tasmania, the home port of the Aurora Australis? We don't know, but we do love a good party. Of course, by the time we've all flown to Hutton, the party will be over, the dance floor all sticky and covered in broken glass and the ceiling strewn with streamers. But it was fun whilst it lasted. Once we know how long a public holiday lasts, that is. Over in Colonia, the coffee machine has broken down in tier, and there are rumours that poor maintenance of the toaster, George Foreman grill and dishwasher are pending. So they need food, until the bun warmer is fixed, and a machinery to fix the popcorn machine as soon as possible. And now it's time for a little Norma Snockers. As Flossie's busy with the next chapter of her autobiography, I'll tell you what's what with her CCCGs. The galactic mugging rumbles along and we're approaching 40% complete at speed with nearly 22,000 stations complete and 7,000 systems totally mods free. There's a bit of competition brewing at the top table with Doc Jack and Montgomery Python trading places and both around the 1000 mug mark. The 240th commander has now signed up and we're running at an average of over 90 mugs per pilot. With allocations sitting at 75 at the moment, that's a minimum of two Hutton runs per commander. Hutton Orbital, two Hutton ports, a Hutton station, a pair of docks, a ring and a landing are all mods free. Alvin has placed an order for immediate mugging of Hutton Colony in Warwickare, Hutton Dock in Didarengu, Hutton Ring in Lalandi 22701, Hutton Depot in LTT 2099 and Hutton Horizons in Rigo Sages and Blata. Of course, add a shit 
and Kettle Dock have been well mugged as Supermat, though we're a little concerned about Coupen, Mugger and Mugari. That's all from me this week. here. Since CGs and initiatives are on hold, it seems that I'm going to have to dust off some of my old hobbies, such as hygiene bungee dumping and bear baiting. Though, to be honest, putting worms on hooks whilst you're in the nip isn't entirely too risky for your uh, dignity. In the meantime, I thought that it was time that I read some more from my best-selling autobiography, How I Became the Pilots' Federation's Favourite Pilot. Now, I've had some messages from listeners about this. It seems that, inexplicably, many of you have missed the broadcast where I covered my early years, so the producers of this show have asked if I can start all over again, in hopes that you'll pay more attention this time. Since I'm always willing to oblige, and since I've increased my fee, I'm happy to do this for you, my loyal fans. Chapter 1. A Damp Beginning If you really want to hear about it, the first thing you'll probably want to know is where I was born, and what my lousy childhood was like, and how my parents were occupied and all before they had me, and all that Deborah Copfield kind of crap. So if you're sitting comfortably, I'll begin. I was born, so my parents told me, on Sol in Huddersfield, or at least within the bounds of what used to be Huddersfield, now part of the Great Yorkshire Lake. My parents were at the time posing as underwater archaeologists whilst on the run from the law, owing to a misunderstanding about their following of the philosophies of the French anarchist and some collaborator with Karl Marx, Pierre-Joseph Proudhon, who declared that all property is theft, and the way that they went about an entirely too practical application of those ideas. Consequently, I was born 20 metres underwater in a submersible called Greta T, in which I was to spend the first three years of my life. These early days were filled with amazing and wonderful sights, such a variety of sea that swarm lazily backwards and forwards in front of my viewport, their bright, vibrant colours, something hitherto not associated with Huddersfield outside of Pride Week. Most of the original, now submerged, town had, of course, succumbed to the effects of tide and salt water but some parts still remained. There were eels that called themselves around the arms and legs of a statue of someone apparently called Harold Wilson. And on one rather lonely wall, 
that obviously used to be part of a much bigger structure, you could see a plaque and still make out, make out the name James Mason. For some reason, that used to make my parents smile. It was a lonely life in some ways. I had my parents, of course, but I longed for the company of other children. My best friend was a jellyfish that swam past, that I called Mr Squishy, but he never seemed to return my affection. On my third birthday, my parents threw a special party for me. We had raspberry jellyfish, salt and salt flavour skin crisps, sorry, fish flavour skin crisps, things that they called sausage rolls but smelled suspiciously of eel, and a cake with a drawing of three lit candles. We couldn't have real candles, of course, not with the pressurised oxygen. When I blew and made a wish, my parents replaced the picture with one showing three smouldering candles and told me that they had a surprise. Their bounties had expired, and you young people reading this probably won't know, but in those days bounties would expire if you could hide from the authorities for long enough and that we were, at last, heading for our real home. Asteroids? My real home was the asteroids? It's true. Apparently my parents had originally been miners before they fell on hard times. None of you void opal billionaires back then, no sir. Looking at how many hours my parents had to work with their lasers to scrape a crust off the surface of those rocks, I'm not surprised they fell into the pirating ways that had been their downfall. That's all I have time for this week. Next time, I'll be talking about my school days, including the year I spent at boarding school on Rigel 5, and the mysterious fire that happened when I was not smoking in Cubicle 2 and nowhere near the pile of Play Pilot magazines that we didn't keep hidden from the teachers. Flossie told you what to do Powerful People Encyclopedia Galactica presents biographies of notable people in the galaxy. This week, Archon Delane. In every galaxy, there has to be at least one self-styled pirate king. Archon Delane was born Archibald de Lacey in Winchester, England in 3249, the only child of Ernest and Florence de Lacey. His parents emigrated to the Harmer system in the Pegasi sector when little Archibald was 12, believing that a desolate system with no terraformed planets had to be preferable to living that close to Southampton. Ernest de Lacey took a job as an accounting clerk with the Harmer Silver Cartel, a local organised crime syndicate. The Silver Cartel believed strongly in the value of insurance to generate repeat business, so were careful to issue accurate receipts for all captured cargo. This was Ernest's job. Socially awkward, de Lacey Jr. attended the Silver Cartel School of Piracy, where his lunch money was used by other pupils to practice their pirating techniques. In 3264, at the age of 15, Archibald had just about had enough. When a stranger tapped him on the shoulder to ask the way to the headmaster's office, young Archie, thinking his lunch money was about to be stolen yet again, finally discovered he couldn't take any more. In an incandescent rage born of despair and self-loathing, he punched and pummeled the stranger to death, 
with his bare fists. The stranger it transpired was Pirate Lord Gandergast the Ghastly, Lord and Leader of the Kumo crew, come to give the speech at prize-giving day. By inadvertently defeating the Pirate Lord, young Archie not only caused prize-giving day to be rescheduled, but also automatically became the new Pirate Lord of the Kumo crew. Thrust into the rough and tumble of life as the galaxy's premier Pirate Lord, Archie discovered that he had a hidden talent for organising ragtag bands of pirates into an efficient industrial machine, passing vast quantities of stolen goods through the warehouses of Pegasi, all correctly tagged and receipted. He employed time and motion inspectors to make sure the pirating was being done in the most efficient way possible, and limited his employees' comfort breaks to one ten-minute break every two hours, something that earned him the reputation of being a ruthless dictator. Lord Archie employed a company of image consultants who advised him that a more piratical name might improve his chances of success. The name they brainstormed is the one he uses today, Archon Delane. The consultants also created the Hollow Me images of Delane that are used in Kumu Crew publicity. In fact, Delane is a skinny, underweight 56-year-old who likes wearing a kaftan and sandals, but who understands the need for a good brand image. As part of the process of establishing his new image, Delane threw the consultants into his darkest dungeon and starved them to death, which is pretty much what image consultants deserve. Delane bought in Cyto Scrambler technology from a small startup. This small but powerful laser is capable of stripping shields at short range more efficiently than a huge normal laser. Delane, of course, claims the invention was his own and jealously guards its secret, which sadly meant the dungeon for its inventors. The Kumo crew under Delane practices slavery, not your Namby Pamby Imperial slavery, but the good, honest, clap them in chains and work them hard until they collapse, and then feed them to the dog sort. This is something he does mainly to his enemies, but also to those who fail to pay their tribute to the Kumo crew, or who forget to send him a birthday present. Unfortunately, despite his management prowess, the general lack of profitability of piracy, when there are far faster and more efficient ways to make money, has meant that Delane is the second worst performing power with control over a meagre 41 systems, mainly systems that none of the other powers are interested in. The piracy industry of the Pegasi sector remains a niche occupation, and Delane remains a shadowy figure behind those publicity portraits. He has posted on Twitter just once. On the 26th of September, 3304, he wrote, Fly dangerous, commanders! but keep an eye always in your rear. Tune in next week for another of the galaxy's powerful people. Trucker
Spaceways, back again for this week's Hutton Top Trucker. How do we keep up with your shenanigans while you tootle around in the Milky Way? Why, we install this little piece of software called the Hutton Helper in your spaceship. If you ain't already got it installed, you can install it yourself, relatively pain-free, by going to the website hot.forthemug.com. Almost as pain-free as still having to deal with your ex's bullshit ten years later. So let's get on to our top truckers this week. Yeehaw! From the explorers, jumping around like them rabbits in a field, Commander APL Fatal jumped over 80,300 light years. Congrats to knocking Mr. Petunia out of first place. Tired of hauling cargo, Commander Kuroi Kasume decided to pull the trigger a lot and wound up turning the despicably dirty do-batter Don Antonacci and his band of pathetic pirates into space dust again this week. He racked up 49.7 million credits worth of bounties while tearing the engines out of each and every one of the Don ships. Running missions like no other, the Major General Nocti racked in 496 mission points this week, making Miss Lale mighty proud of you. Loading up the new trailer attachment to the rear of a Lacon Type 9 and filling it to the brim, Commander Zanray hauled almost 36,000 tons of cargo around the galaxy. Great job there, Commander. Keeping control of the Hutton High Speed Rail this week, along with all the mission points he did, we got our Major General Nocti delivering 7,183 passengers around the galaxy. That's two weeks in a row now. Word is that he kept his 3D printer super busy and he ain't got nothing better to do. Our fastest run to Hutton Orbital is held by Commander Brett Riverboat in one hour, 22 minutes, and 31 seconds. But the fastest run to Hutton in February is held by Commander Dogjack in one hour, 23 minutes, and 10 seconds. If y'all think you got what it takes to beat these scores, then download the Hutton Helper and get to flying. You want to hear your name on this here radio station? Make sure you got the Hutton Helper installed. Pick it up on the web at hot.forthemug.com and get to trucking. And don't forget, if you do hear your name called out and you ain't already got one, get in touch with us to get your very own Hutton decal for your ship. Hutton Top Trucker, brought to you by Lacon Spaceways, the only ships in the galaxy with an emergency Hutton mug under the seat. Please note, 
The Hutton mug cannot be used as a flotation device. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of the show. Everybody's buggered off now, so why don't you bugger off too? Nay, nay.